Hey guys, this is Rick Godwin, pastor of Summit Church here in San Antonio. Thanks for joining us today. You know, we're excited to have you on our podcast. Our goal is to inspire you and to challenge you and help everyone realize their full potential in Christ. Now enjoy the message. We're going to finish today a series I started several weeks ago talking about developing character through commitment. And we talked about the different commitments. We said, first of all, the commitment to family, commitment to a local church, why you need to belong to a spiritual family. Secondly, we talked about commitment to habits, things you do every day, even without thinking. And we mentioned three particular that affect your future, your life, and your destiny dramatically, and why that's important to make it a habit, a good habit. And third, we talked about last week, commitment to your purpose. God designed everybody here or listening online to a specific purpose. You're not, you're not some afterthought of God or because your parents either did want you or didn't want you. God says, before you were formed in the womb, I knew you, called you by name, and ordained you to be. That's a purpose. So he had a plan for all of us before we got here. Our job after we become a Christian is to discover what that purpose is and then to be committed to fulfilling it. And we finish today by talking about commitment to a mission that really matters. Dr. Sheila Murray Bethel wrote a book a couple of years ago called Making a Difference, 12 Qualities That Mark You Out as a Leader. And by the way, you don't have to be leading a business. You lead a family. You know, you lead your children or a small group, but being a leader. So it's not a Christian book, but it ought to be. It's a, an excellent book. You know, she says in it, the first characteristic of leadership, quality number one, is that a leader has a mission that matters. Good thinking. A mission is a dream, a purpose. It's something that drives you. It pulls you through discouragement, setback, failure, and, diff and diff difficult times. The Bible says where there's no vision, people cast off restraint, lack of discipline, go wild. Why? They have no vision. They don't see anything in front of them that drives them and pulls them through. How does an Olympic athlete deny them their flesh, sweets, or a warm home on a cold, rainy day when they should be outside in training. It's a vision of meddling in the Olympics that drives them forward. If you don't have something in front of you bigger than you and bigger than now, you'll die right where you are. So God's gift to mankind is light. It's vision. It's what God plans that can be, but it's not easy. The, the only thing easy is quitting. The Navy SEALs say the only easy day was yesterday. You know, going to heaven, honestly, is easy. About Jesus paid for that, but being married, that ain't easy. Well, staying married, you can get married pretty easy. Raising kids, that's not easy. Making money, providing for your family, that's not easy. You know, getting along with people, that's not easy. It's work. Who put easy? Easy's not in the Bible. Yeah, it's in a dictionary, but it's not in the Bible, and it's not in the kingdom. We need to be, we need to be 
stronger people. The church has not produced stronger people. We need to do hard things. Do hard things. Makes you tough. Makes you resilient. And I'm going to talk about that in the next two weeks. What makes you able to spring back from a from setback or from, from a failure to get back up and move forward? I mean, the Cowboys used to have a resilient defense, but that's way in the past, okay? Let, let's hope for today. Maybe something good will happen. So that vision, that purpose, that mission is what drives you forward. It's a powerful leadership quality. Back in June of 1989, the former president, Elder Bush, told 3,000 students on the White House lawn, choose as your mission in life a mission that makes a difference. People who make an impact in life know what they're living for. They're not floating, they're driven. Acts 20, verse 24 in the Living Bible says, life is worth nothing unless I use it for doing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others about the good news about God's mighty kindness and love. So, as a church summit, what's our sense of calling? How are we going to live in a materialistic culture and yet cultivate generous spirits and actually see the resources and the release of those resources for God's kingdom work? Well, it was that kind of a challenge that led Paul to write to the church at Philippi. And you can read about the beginning of that church in Acts 16. Brother, it was a motley crew when it began. There was a woman, a wealthy businesswoman named Lydia, and she was converted to Christ with Paul's preaching, and she bankrolled the whole first church. She did it. There was a jailer involved. Paul and Silas were preaching. They were put in prison and beaten. They're in jail. They're singing. They're in chains. Earthquake comes, and all the chains fall off. So the jailer's going to kill himself because Rome would if he didn't because all the prisoners are now freed from their chains. And Paul says in Acts 16, verse 28, don't harm yourself. We're not going to leave. You can tell they weren't Americans. I mean, you'd find that shocking, wouldn't you? I mean, I would. We're not going to leave. Your life will not be at stake. That's outrageous. And the jailer knew it was outrageous. So he's moved with inquisitiveness and curiosity, so much so he too becomes a follower of Jesus and was baptized that night, took Paul and Silas back home, bandaged them up, gave them an IV of vitamin C or something, and as a result, the whole family got converted, and late at night, they went out and got baptized. Wow. Now, that's the beginning of that little church. There is no church in Europe at this time. That's the first one. Now, that's a long way from Jerusalem. Philippi was the first church on the European continent, and it sure doesn't look like much. And Paul wasn't actually planning on going there. Sometimes life's detours are God's highways. Sometimes. Be aware of it. But Paul had a vision. The man from Macedonia in a dream is calling out, come over here and help us. So he responds to that call. Now, that was a tough area 
Philippi was a Roman colony. About 85% of the inscriptions on statues are in Latin. The residents of Philippi were citizens of Rome. They understood about power and wealth and status, and they're drawn to those things. So they had a smorgasbord approach to religion. They were very pluralistic. There were local gods that were worshipped. And then they had people involved in emperor worship there. There were Roman gods, Greek gods, gods from Egypt, Syria, and from all over the place, everybody had a god. So initially, it's just this one little church of nobodies and one wealthy businesswoman standing alone on an entire continent. You got the picture? But that little nobody-nothing church grows. And Paul leaves. He's gone for a few years. And then one day, this, this letter comes to him. And you can imagine their excitement as Paul's letter is being read. It said, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. What's interesting is that in, if you look in your New Testament, in almost every letter written by Paul, he starts out saying, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He lays out his credentials, but he doesn't do it here because he wants to teach these people caught up in Instagram and fans and how many followers they have and who lives in the most prosperous gated community and the latest model electric car. I'm kind of adding to that, but you get the picture, right? I mean, that's the culture. If you went to Hollywood, if you went to a place fan-based, that'd be the culture. They don't even think like us. They don't live like us. That's not important to them. And he's in the middle of this. So he wants to teach this new little church about servanthood. So he models a kind of partnership. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Then he gives them this prayer. And this prayer for them is that they would discern God's vision for their lives and for that church, that community. So in verse 9 and 10 of Philippians 1, Paul says, This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what's best and be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. So Paul says, I want you guys to discern the best for your life, for your faith, for your work, for your character, for your relationships. I want you to be a community that doesn't settle for just okay. Okay. How you doing, Gladys? Okay. That's like kissing your sister. Okay. That doesn't flick my switch, and yet that's where the church will settle, and that's where a lot of people settle. He said, don't want you to settle for okay. I want you to thrive. I want you to grow. Because when God creates anything living, he's, his will is always for it to thrive. My Father is glorified that you might be fruitful and productive and bear much fruit. In John 15, Jesus said, I don't have to wonder if I'm ordained to be nothing. He said, God's will for you is to be fruitful and produce much fruit, mucho fruit, not muy poquito fruit. I know, man. Hang on, I'm coming. I'm going to be bilingual. Yeah, I'll take 
the rest of my life, but I'll, I'm trying. Hey, no parent ever takes their child to a pediatrician and asks, how can I make my child grow? Nope. If that child is healthy, you know they will grow. So the question by the parent is, why isn't my child growing? Why not, right? What's the problem? Now, I'm told by those who work in baby nurseries and neonatal in a hospital, sometimes a baby will be born and go into decline for no discernible reason. And sometimes they die. And doctors and nurses will write on the chart of that child the letters FTT, which stands for failure to thrive. Those are sad letters, folks. And that's not God's plan for your life. That's not God's plan for his church, failure to thrive. Now, we saw in the introduction of this book, this letter, how Paul crafts the introduction. He's modeling servanthood for these people who live in a part of the world where there's a lot of inducement to pursue wealth and power and fame and status. And Paul writes about this and the possibility of life beyond anxiety. So, I want to focus on two gifts that God gives to the church at Philippi and two gifts, the same ones, he gives to us as well. Number one, he gives them a mission, something to do, something glorious to achieve, a mission. Second, he gives them a promise, something to look forward to. Business guru Peter Drucker once said that when a group of people band together around a mission, they always have to constantly ask themselves, what business are we in? And boy, does the church need to figure that out really quick because we have been sorely distracted. Number one, let's talk about our mission. How would you answer that if somebody were to ask us that question? What business are we in here at Summit? Well, Paul puts it like this in Philippians 1, verse 3 through 5. I thank my God every time I remember you in all of my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership with me in the gospel from the first day to this day. So we are partners in the gospel. Now, the word gospel gets junked up in our day. It has now become a religious word. It was never a religious word. It was a common secular word. So we hear phrases like gospel singers, gospel preachers, and it conjures up in people's minds pictures of people in polyester suits and big hair and manipulative messages. But in Paul's day, it wasn't a religious word. It just meant good news. When they had good news, something was talked about, it was called gospel. You got that? Good news. And the thing about good news is it's kind of like sickness. It spreads. When a new restaurant opens up and the food's good, word gets around, it spreads. You got to try this. Man, it's really good. Like whiskey cake. That is that is the most god awful addictive stuff 
I've ever put in my mouth. I've never taken cocaine, but I'll guarantee you, if you'll shoot up with whiskey cake, it will light you up. I, 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 I don't know what they put in that, but man, it will light your fire. Woo! And you talk about it. Look at me. I'm talking about it already. See? That word gets around. When a great movie hits the screen, there's buzz, right? Oh, you got to see this. It's great. If a major department store in San Antonio were to have a one-cent sale, you'd hear about it. They'd do it on Sunday, and we wouldn't even have anybody in here because good news spreads. And this is the best news ever, Paul says. This is Jesus' news. The news is that God is active in the person of Jesus, that he became a real human being. He really lived and taught and died for all of mankind on a cross, was resurrected on the third day for the forgiveness of all of our sins and the redemption of the entire world. He made it easy and for the creation of the new community they called the church. And that now there's hope for the poor and help for the sick, for the marginalized, and liberty for those who are oppressed. See, the best news ever, the gospel, is Jesus' news. And it spread like good news always does. You couldn't stop it. It just kept on spreading. And that's our business. We are in the good news business. I'm not in the political business. I'm not into the other stuff that's going on in our culture. I'm aware of it. I read up on it. I have opinions about it, but when I stand here in summit, that's not my business. I've got a mission. Our church, you have a mission if you're a believer and follower of Jesus, and it's the good news business. I don't know any bad person that doesn't know they're bad. I don't know any abductor that doesn't know he's bad. I don't know of any murderer who doesn't know he's bad. Anybody? I don't think so. I thought any bad person I've ever known, and I've known a lot, always knew they were a problem. So I don't need to tell them, you're bad. I need to give them good news. You think the masses that surrounded Jesus, the publicans, the extortioners, the pimps, and the prostitutes flocked to him. Hello, where are they? We preach another Jesus, unfortunately. We preached another we call gospel, not the gospel. And as a result, all we've done is continue to divide people and races and, and hurt the church of the living God and misrepresent Jesus' whole mission. This is the good news business. That's all I want you to get. So we exist not primarily to hold services, to run programs. Our mission primarily is to help people meet, love, and follow this man, Jesus. See, I'm not here to make you a Methodist or an Episcopalian. I'm here to make you a Christian. I mean, to get you to Jesus, he can do it. And it's vital for the church to understand its mission if it's going to thrive. You know, this is not a carnival cruise. On a carnival cruise, it's like, uh, is this, this satisfactory? Did the food taste all right? Are you comfortable? Is the music too loud? I'll have the band tone it down. Is it too soft? Is it warm? Are you comfortable? Do I need to adjust the temperature? Do you like this setting over here? Are you happy with the crew? Do you like the captain over here? That's, that's the freaking church. And I'm thinking, we're not here for you. We're here for the people that don't know good news. They don't know they can come home. They don't know God says, I've already paid your price. Come on. It isn't hard. I love you. 
Good news. It's not who's the next president or what's the next administration. That's your civil responsibility when you leave. But in the church, our business is good news. Good news to bad people or you wouldn't be here. And I wouldn't be here. And I, it's easy to forget what he's done for you. It just isn't that hard. Imagine the thief on the cross, a whole life of debauchery. He's guilty. He's strung up. He's crucified. And on the last day and the last minutes of his life, he turns to Jesus and said, would you remember me? And I can imagine in heaven, angels check that guy out and say, how'd you get here? You been baptized? No. You, you, you go to church? No. You been to Sunday school? No. You had any Bible training? No, I don't even have one. Do you know the doctrine of justification? Never heard of it. And I could see the angel saying, well, how in the world did you get here? I, I don't know. That, that man in the middle on the cross said, I could come. That's it. He said, I could come. It's grace. It's mercy. It's good news. Never been any news like that. We got more things to jump through that I've never heard of. It couldn't be that hard to go to heaven. Not when I didn't pay for it. He did. Now, living on earth is hard. Staying married is hard. Raising kids is hard. Getting along with people and relatives, that's hard. Making a career, fulfilling a dream, that's hard. Going to heaven, that's not hard. You didn't do a thing, and nor did I, to deserve any of it. I don't perform to earn my uh, arrival in heaven, I received the one who paid the bill, Jesus. Why wasn't, that's why it was good news to everybody. But man, we have gone way away from our mission. So we could go around and say, well, that's a democratic church over there. That's a Republican white church over there. Well, that's a Hispanic or uh, Kenny was just up here doing the offering. That's a Filipino church over there. <laughs> Listen, the family of God has no race identity no national identity, no gender identity, no male, no female, no bond, no free. You are all one in Christ Jesus. When you walk through the door of a church, you lay aside your race, your nationality, your culture. You're in the family of Jesus, period. It's a spiritual family. It's not based on race. It's not based on nationality. And we've tried to Americanize Christianity as well. That's sinful and wrong. I mean, we, Jesus couldn't even get Peter to go into a house to give him some good news about the gospel as a Gentile. And finally, Jesus in the third appearance says, Peter, don't you call unclean what I have cleaned. Get your little bottom over there. And Peter did. Peter, Peter was, it took a while for Jesus to get him right about what the church was to be. It, it seems almost impossible today as far as I'm, I can. I don't know. We were, in, uh, we were in Hawaii on a first vacation in three years, and I'm at the pool enjoying the sunshine and the water and the breeze, and there's two people I've been talking to next to me. They're older couple, lawyers from up in Waco, where? Wichita Falls. And they were, they were giving me quizzes and stuff and where are you from and la, 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 la. And they finally asked Cindy and I, said, where did you guys meet? And I said, in church? Oh, you must be Trump supporters. 
And I thought, the, my, point, my point is, did you see how they connected church to political identity? Wrong. See, that's how bad we've gotten off mission. That's not the mission of the church. That's your civil responsibility outside the church. As an American citizen, you can vote. You can make your choices. Yes, but in the church, we're under the kingdom of God. And God says, in my kingdom, we don't do that. Not here. So, if we don't stay on mission, it won't thrive. On Nantucket Island in Massachusetts, there's a little museum. It was devoted to an organization that was started centuries ago. And back in those days, travel by sea was very risky, very dangerous, because they had those bad storms in the Atlantic Ocean and off the rocky coast of Massachusetts. And many people lost their lives just a mile or so off the shore. So a group of volunteers went into the life-saving business. They banded together and formed what was then called the Humane Society. They built little huts that dotted all along the coast of Nantucket, and they had people watching the sea all the time. And whenever a ship would go down, the word would go out, people would drop everything and devote themselves to saving every life they could. They did it for no money, for no recognition. They did it simply because they valued human life. And to remind them how serious they were about this mission, to remind them what was at stake, they had a motto. And their motto was, you have to go out, but you don't have to come back. <laughs> it's dangerous, right? Well, do they have air conditioning? <laughs> do they have comfortable seats? See, pretty sobering words. You wouldn't think that would be a very effective recruiting slogan. Got to go out, don't got to come back. Mm. Think about it. People would risk everything they had, even their lives, to save people they had never met. But over time, things changed for that little community. After a while, the U.S. Coast Guard started, and it began to take over that task. And for a while, the Coast Guard and the Life-Saving Society worked side by side. Eventually, another idea carried the day. Let the professionals do that. They're better trained. They get paid for it. So the volunteers stopped manning those little huts, stopped searching the coastline for sinking ships, and they stopped sending out teams to rescue drowning humans. And here's the funny thing. They still couldn't bring themselves to disband. The life-saving society still meets to this day. They have dinner every once in a while, I think in Boston, they hand out awards for stuff. They enjoy each other's company. They still have a good time. They party together. They exist. They're just not in the life-saving business anymore. Amazing. It doesn't happen in a day, a month, or a year. But over time, a church that forgets it's in the life-saving business begins to ebb away. They usually don't disband not at least right away. People still meet. They enjoy each other, backslapping and friendship. They have some company. They have services. They have a few programs. We have in every major city in America churches over 100 years old. The buildings are large and they're cold, but they're well endowed by some old wealthy members so they can keep it going for a long time. But their focus has changed, and they're not looking out at the coast. Not anymore. They're looking at themselves all the time, and they're not sending out teams anymore to people going down, and they're not scouring their neighborhoods or offices or schools to see if there's anybody who needs to be rescued or saved. 
And they forgot that Jesus put this rescue effort into the hands of volunteers. Yeah, they hold services every week. They have buildings and budgets. They take offerings. They hire staff. They have programs. They're just not in the life-saving business anymore. And it's just a matter of time until the day comes when you can write over the door of that church, FTT, Failure to Thrive, because everybody thinks, what's in it for me? You see, I, we do stuff around here. We give money out of our pocket, above our tithes and offering to support like chosen. I mean, there were people being saved. There were people being re renewed. There were people being transformed. There were people getting their identity refreshed from God. There were people being touched by God's Holy Spirit. All of that, we were a part of partnering in the gospel for it. Although I'm not, I'm not a guy with a lot of estrogen, I understand I'm a partner in that deal because we're in the life-saving business. So we have people in here that are business people and have worked for other companies, and they were maybe ushering. Others were escorting the ladies in. Some were running tables. Some were handing out product. Some were helping with uh, the offering. Others were running the cameras and doing stuff, greeters and a handshake and fun. Everybody had a part. Why? Because we, we're a rescue mission. I mean, I'm, not an, I'm not on a cruise ship. It's, well, I think it's too loud. I think it's too cold. Oh, I don't like that smoke. Oh, I don't. oh, shut up and go get on an ocean cruise. Go get you a Norwegian ship or a carnival cruise. This is, a, this is the SS Summit battleship. We're on a rescue mission. It ain't comfortable. It's dangerous. People get hurt. But if that's what you're into, support it. That's exactly what it is. I, my main goal is, did people get help? Did people get encouraged? Did people get freed from addiction? Did people have their marriages strengthened? Did people get saved? I mean, that's the bottom line, or else what are we in business for? See, it's not just backslapping. And I hope we all understand that Jesus is still looking for people willing to go out into the life-saving business. He's looking for people, church communities, where people are willing to band together and say, hey, I'll bring whatever gifts I have, small or large, and we'll create a little hut of refuge right here in San Antonio. Now, we don't save anybody, I understand. Only God does that. But he does invite us to partner with him in that mission. And I'll tell you what that means for us at Summit. As long as there's anybody in this city, state, or region around us who doesn't know Jesus, as long as there's anybody who needs hope, who stands alone, who needs help, who needs fellowship, we're not done. We have an ongoing mission. And if you know him, you're on a mission from God. Remember the Blues Brothers? We're on a mission from God. Well, we really are. The, this is not a casual thing. This is good news. And because human beings are immortal creatures, God has planned an eternal destiny for every one of us one day. You and I have been made partners of this gospel, good news, when we come together and say, whatever gifts I have, even if it doesn't look like much, I'll bring to this fellowship. I'll have a heart for this world. I'll have a heart for the poor. I'll pray for people who are going down. I'll share my life and my faith with people. And Paul gave his life, and millions of people throughout history have given their lives to that mission and cause. See, we're in the good news business. That's our business. Jesus said, I came to seek and save that which was lost. He didn't come to entertain us. He came to help us, 
to reach people. He said, I, Jesus, can only be in one place at one time on this earth, but I'm going to send my spirit so now I can be everywhere there's a believer. You'll be my hands, my tears. You'll be my feet. You'll be my mouth, my tongue, my eyes. You'll be me as a representative on planet Earth. Now Jesus can be everywhere, everywhere at one time. And that's our business. We exist to help people meet, love, and follow Jesus. So we have a mission. Second, we have a promise. We have a mission, and God's given us a promise. And this uh, this promise applies to you and me as individuals and to us as a church fellowship. Here's the promise. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Philippians 1, verse 6. I wonder if anybody in this room or watching online has ever started a good work and you didn't finish it. If you belong to a gym, you always notice that at the beginning of January, the gym is packed with new people in cute outfits. There are people on treadmills that hadn't treadmilled for a long time. There are people wearing spandex who should never wear spandex. The gym gets filled with all kinds of people. But by December, end of the year, I'll guarantee you the membership lists of gyms all over America are going to have people who started a good work but faded out before the finish line. So let's do a mass confession. You know, how many have ever started a good work, begun a diet? made a list of home repairs that you're going to do, cleaned out a garage, promised you were going to organize your time, made a commitment to become a better student of the Bible or a commitment to tithe or to pray. How many of you have ever started a good work and then procrastinated and not finished it? How many of you need more time to think about it? Did you know God's never done that? Whatever God starts, God finishes. God is a finisher. Our God is a finisher. 2,000 years ago, God began a good work in this little town of Philippi, and he starts with a businesswoman who is going to bankroll the whole deal and a jailer and a couple of escaped convicts. That's the root of the first church in Europe. Now, 2,000 years later, you think about that and all that's happened. Westminster Cathedral, Notre Dame, the Sistine Chapel, the universities, the history of Western civilization in Europe for the last 2,000 years. That came as a result of that little church in Philippi. And you think about what's happened, and now we're on the other side of it. But it all started with that little motley crew in the little town of Philippi 2,000 years ago. How do you explain that? Well, it's because he who began a good work in you is faithful to perform it. And about 38 years ago, Summit started with a few people. We met, we worshiped, we worked, the people gave, we sacrificed, we prayed. And today we have people and crowds of people and property and opportunities to reach even more people and make a difference in our world. Why? Because he who began the good work is faithful to see it finished. God's not finished, folks, not with you, not with us. If you're breathing, God's not done. See, it's been our privilege to send people, travel far corners of the world, to build, to pray, to help win people to Christ. We put a few hundred thousand dollars into agencies representing the poor, AIDS victims, hospice, orphanages, and other social agencies even in our city. 
I think we should adopt a new motto for anybody going on a mission trip. You have to go out. You don't have to come back. That's fun, huh? Probably not a good recruitment tool. Yeah. It goes on around here all the time. Marriage is put back together. People who are stuck in an addictive behavior go into recovery. Lost people find Christ. No wonder, Paul says, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because we're partnering with God in the good news business. I hope you're a partner. You know, you know with organizations, there are three kinds of relationships. There's customers who say, I want you to meet my expectations. I want you to give me what I'm looking for. I want you to make me comfortable. Then there's employees. They generally do what they're told to do. They fulfill their obligation. But if it's not their job description, there's a pretty good chance it ain't going to happen. Did you ever hear that phrase? It's not my job. Well, man, there's going to be times in a marriage or a family or at work, like Chosen we just got. There are all people here. Uh, one of our ladies in the picture camera business was here to 3 a.m. sorting out the pictures to get it done with her husband. I mean, they're not paid to do that. That's not their job description. There are other people working in other areas doing something else for the Chosen to get into this family of reaching people for Christ. And it wasn't their job description. If you picked up trash because you saw it on the floor, that's not your job if you're not in the janitorial part. That's an employee. Ah, we get lots of those in church. And then there are partners. A partner says, I want to help in everything around here. What can I do? I'll go. I'll risk. I'll serve. I'll give. I'll love. Count me in. I'm in. Just say the word. And if God's planted you here at Summit, or if you're watching or here from another church, but these put you there. I pray that will happen to you there, that God will call you out of the customer business, out of the employee role, to become one of the partners in the good news business. It's kind of strange that although we're all drawn to being customers, there's not a lot of joy in being a customer. When you ask a kid what he wants to be when he grows up, I've never heard any of them say, I want to be a great customer. That's my ambition in life. Woo! See, where... Where the joy ends up is with people who say, I want to have an open hand before God with my life, my time, my abilities, my energy, my gifts, my money. I want to partner in the good news business. I went to several people from this church personally and said, look, I'm giving this amount over my normal giving and, and above the tithe and other areas that we commit to weekly. Uh, we have a compassion child we support. And I said, I want you to know I'm I'm putting this in, my money where my mouth is. I'm asking you to put in a couple of grand extra to help us meet the budget for Chosen because I want you to partner with us, even though you probably won't come, but to partner with your spiritual family in bringing good news to people. And every one of them did. Thank God, every one of them did. They're in. They partnered with us in the gospel. And when a whole spiritual family, a whole community does that, when people band together and build a little hut of refuge and decide to go into the life-saving business, you have no idea where it leads. It started in Philippi, and a whole continent changed. I remember sitting at a table with a, a pastor of a very small church, but very intellectual, and he led me to faith in Jesus at a luncheon. It wasn't, it was very simple. It wasn't, it wasn't embarrassing. It wasn't a wild deal of Bible study. We were just having lunch as business guys. Made sense to me. 
I just never put the picture together. He just put it together for me. And I said, yeah, I'm in. And that little church, and I served in the early days in that little, little bitty church. And I thought, Dr. Wayne Wall, who's been in heaven a long time, had no idea where this kind of rebellious kid was going to end up. Would have no idea. You know, if I see, when I see him in heaven, not if I'll see him in heaven, when I see him in heaven, I would, I would certainly want to thank him for making an investment in my life for which he never knew what would come out of it at all. You know, when I was in the rock and roll business, we all got married in a bar. That was very exciting. And when I became a Christian, my wife said, I'll divorce you if you become a Christian. Well, I became a Christian. And she divorced me. And then the church official says, well, because you have been divorced, God will never use you. <laughs> so I said, God got a divorce too. Jeremiah 3, verse 8, he, he doesn't hate divorcees. He hates divorce. It was never my heart or intention. And then I met Cindy in church. So, uh, and we've been married uh, nearly, four, nearly 40, 40, 48 years. Yeah, I know. And we have other couples here about the same time. We're in this thing to win it. We're, it, it, it. we're not in it because it's, I get all I want, or it's like I want, or it's so easy. Or oh, if I married him, if I married her, you'd be in the same boat you're in now. Body shape and type. Then watch Hollywood. If being hot and buff or hot and beautiful would do it, they'd all have great, long-lasting marriages. But it don't do it. It's got you. Got to have commitment. You got to have commitment to anything. Hey, let me challenge everybody to pray this prayer from Philippians that I just quoted. God help my love to abound more and more with knowledge and depth of insight, so that I can discern the best. God help me not settle for okay. Help us discern the best and God wants the best for you as well bow your head with me Father touch the heart of people so that we receive the people who want to bring good news to our community to our state to our nation and to our world help everyone capture a revelation of what our mission is it's simple May we capture that. May we stop being selfish, racist, bigoted, judgmental, exclusive. May we follow Jesus and be inclusive and non-judgmental and full of grace and full of mercy and bring good news to every human being in this building that comes or that watches online, regardless of the critics. May we keep the main thing the main thing. Help everybody not be a watcher, a spectator, but be a partner with us in the good news business with their time, their talent, and Hey, thanks again for joining us today. If you enjoyed the podcast, subscribe and share it with a friend. Follow me by visiting the links in the description. I'm praying today that God richly blesses you this entire week.